Hello, you're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, the markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. On this episode, our panel is Jason Helfstein, Managing Director and Head of Internet Research, Rick Schaefer, Managing Director and Head of Semiconductor Research, and Tim Horan, Managing Director and Head of Cloud and Communications Research, all at Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on March 31, 2023. Thank you for joining us. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm Jason Helfstein, Managing Director and Head of Internet Research for Oppenheimer & Company. I'm very excited to be joined today by Rick Schaefer and Tim Horan. Today, we're going to spend some time talking about the impact of AI on all of our sectors. I will start out with an AI overview. Tim, can you talk to us about the size of the market and why it's getting so much attention right now? Sure. So AI is a kind of key or the killer application for cloud computing. Cloud overall has been around for about a decade. This is really centralized compute where you can kind of keep all your data there. And now we can use that data to train AI models. The cloud market is well over a trillion dollars. AI at this point, still a very large market, actually. It's probably about a hundred billion, but we think it will also grow to over a trillion in the next kind of seven to 10 years. But more importantly, it's going to massively change almost every single uh, industry out there. And really why all the excitement around AI is right now is because about six months, ChatGPT um, came out, uh, ChatGPT 3.5, we're up to version four. We'll probably see version five by the end of this year. But for the first time ever, um, AI has been able to create content and it can kind of hold a conversation with human beings. And it's basically showing the potential that AI can have longer term and all the productivity and innovation that it could drive at this point. So this is why everybody's extremely excited about it. I think we're going to see massive amounts of investments and innovation in the sector. As far as services, I think what's clearly captivated everyone's attention is the way you can interact with chat GPT, ask it questions, ask it to write you whatever you might want, and now actually create photos for you, interpret photos. But beyond that, what are the services that, that that ultimately we're thinking about the cloud providers would create? Well, I mean, the first one, I was uh, at a hotel yesterday, I called the operator, and I, I didn't realize at first that it was a computer. It did a really, really good job of kind of fooling me. So I think some of the first areas we're going to see are clearly contact centers are going to get much more uh, automated with the customer service. There are going to be hundreds of new, you know, uh, other areas that are affected by it. We think we're going to start to see real telemedicine kind of happening where at this point, radiologists, we think are going to start to become pretty obsolete once the AI can kind of start to read MRIs, but you know, dozens and dozens of other new, new use cases. We think about the cover, the companies that we both cover, you know, Alphabet, uh, Amazon, and obviously Microsoft, w- w- which you lead, you know, each one of them have a role in cloud, but right now, you know, there's a, there's a hierarchy right now in AI with Microsoft, the perception is they're leading, but it remains early and, and the view that Amazon is trailing. Maybe talk about why you think 
Microsoft is, is perceived to be in the pole position. Yeah, so the model that's working that ChatGPT is run by OpenAI, AI is used basically actually technology developed at Google called transformer technology and, and neural networking. And for whatever reason, they have kind of hit on the formula to make this work. Microsoft owns half of OpenAI. Microsoft has built out a separate cloud for OpenAI. It is entirely built on NVIDIA's technology, which we can kind of get into. But for Microsoft, they are one of the few hybrid cloud computing companies so they can go to existing customer locations and use their data to basically train new AI models for, for specific purposes. But Microsoft also has basic relationships with every single enterprise in the world. They own half of OpenAI, as I mentioned. They also have their own existing applications and they're in, embedding AI in all of their applications. They call it Copilot at this point, which they basically already rolled out. Uh, so Microsoft is in really the cat's bird seat right now because they have the only AI model that's working. They have the technology behind it, and then they have the applications. And you know, Rick, maybe you can go into a little bit behind more, uh, you know, around the video what they're doing and, and why they're so important to this whole food chain. Yeah, thanks, Tim. No, it's a it's a good question. I mean, I'd say in some ways AI sort of came to Nvidia. You know, they developed CUDA as a programming language for massive parallel processors, which are what GPUs are, and really the engines behind accelerated compute uh, that we're discussing here. They developed CUDA 15, 16 years ago. And so that's sort of become the platform or the foundation for a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff that the CSPs are running now on top of that platform. So really what NVIDIA is doing is not just bringing the hardware component, which the latest generation for them of, of uh, GPU accelerator is the H100, but they're also bringing the software stack. So what they're doing is, again, creating a platform, sort of a launching off pad for the CSPs and others to, to leverage off that to basically, you know, enable things like chat uh, GPT. And so, you know, we're kind of still, and I know you, you mentioned, I think, Tim, but we're sort of still in that Wild West phase of AI. Um, where these models are growing exponentially. And you mentioned chat GPT, you know, I think 3.5 version had something like 175 billion parameters. And you look at chat uh, GPT-4, uh, most people think it's close to a trillion parameters. So just in one generation, that's the kind of growth we're, we're still seeing in models. Yeah, let, let's stay with the theme of the Wild West, because I think it's interesting. I, you know, Microsoft clearly, um, or, or chat GPT, clearly captivated um, people's attention with kind of the human-like aspect of interacting with ChatGPT. And then the first version of Bing was a pretty, uh, or Bing with ChatGPT was a largely unrestricted version, which they then kind of put guardrails on to kind of keep the, the conversation a certain channel. And then with the second kind of version of Google's Bard, that seems to be quite guardrailed and to the extent some people might be disappointed with it. It's probably because it's not as fun and as interesting as, as kind of the, the, the original version. Maybe talk, Tim, you know, how, how do we see the, the companies managing this from a Wild West where we have Google on one side who seems to be incredibly conservative with what they're willing to put in the market, where um, Microsoft seems to be willing to be a little more aggressive? Well, Microsoft is trying to become the AI platform. They think it's basically the operating system for artificial intelligence. They kind of did that for the personal computer. We've seen Apple do it really for smartphones, but you're going to have in all likelihood one primary place where programmers go to kind of lock into the hardware and 
into other applications at the same exact time. And so that's why Microsoft's being so aggressive on this. They think time is of the essence. And they have a big push. You know, you talked about the applications. One of the big ones is going to be kind of digital assistance. And they have a product called Microsoft Teams, which is a, a voice service and chat and video kind of all integrated together. They want to really push AI really, really hard in that so that it can kind of automate a lot of your day-to-day -day functions and kind of extend out to many areas. And ultimately, you're, we're going to end up with like medical digital assistance, educational digital assistance, and then, you know, just my personal life. And you're going to kind of get into a car in the morning to do your morning commute, and it'll your digital assistant will know what news you care about and kind of will speak to you on it or what sports that really kind of matter to you. And Microsoft feels that they have the platform to tie together all these different applications together, you know, into one. Now, you know, the obvious one is search also. And, you know, they feel like search is the largest software market out there in the world and they only have 5% market share. And so they really want to try to go out and disrupt, you know, Google search business if, if possible. And, um, you know, once again, they just think time is of the essence. And once you start getting programmers on their platform and they do have the exclusive to host any training models on open AI at this point, which is you know pretty damn critical because that's the only training model right now that's really working extremely well. That's a good segue. Let, let's talk about uh, Google for a minute and search and, and the risk to search. I think many people have experimented with generative AI, chat GPT. Some folks may now have used the kind of you can you can access the the beta now of, of Bard. And, you know, it, it doesn't do search particularly well, but it does other things quite well. Ultimately, Google is faced with the invent with the uh, inventor's dilemma that, you know, if they do go in this direction, do they kill the goose that laid the golden egg as far as the amount of search revenue they're getting? On top of that, at least today and for the foreseeable future, generative AI searches will, will cost a lot more. So, um, maybe talk about how you think they can address the cost side you know, in, in this equation. Yeah, great question. So, you know, we obviously talked to Microsoft quite a bit. Uh, they feel like they've driven down the cost substantially already, almost 75% for AI training. They think they're going to drive it down another 90% in the next few years. Now, NVIDIA is a really key component of that, and, and maybe uh, Rick can get into it, but you know, NVIDIA is talking about basically seven, eightfold improvement in productivity on training of the models with their new chips. And they've gotten substantially better about which data they need to train the model and how to curate the data before they train the models. So, you know, we're seeing massive improvements and massive amounts of innovation. But, you know, Rick, maybe you can just talk about some of NVIDIA's new products and how they're kind of driving productivity. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got a, a lineup of, of new products that are just launching and just ramping uh, as we speak. The H100 is sort of core to everything they're doing. Um, it's their latest accelerator. And, you know, it depends how you measure it. it, depends on the application, but it can be, uh, you know, up to 10 times cost reduction, up to 14 times better power efficiency. You know, power efficiency is a big deal when it comes to the CSPs, you know, the big hyperscalers, TCO, total cost of ownership equation. So if you're able to, to get basically deliver more processing power using less energy, you're going to be more efficient. You can densify a data center uh, pretty materially. And again, this is a pretty big component of the, uh, of the overall CSPs, uh, TCO, that they're working to, to get down, as, as you said, Tim. And Rick, who are the other kind of winners and losers in the semiconductor food chain, do you think? To me, it's odd to say this, but I think Intel kind of sets up as a potential loser here. You know, they have been losing care on the CPU side for a while. They really don't have a very strong leg in, in GPU. And 
you know, what's really happened is, you know, Moore's Law, which I think most people are familiar with, is, is kind of dead. And so you're just not getting a lot of bang for the buck in terms of upgrading to the latest, greatest CPU. You're just not getting, you know, it used to be in the old days, go back 10 years, you know, folks would upgrade their servers every couple of years because the new CPU is out and the payback might be six or nine months, you know, in terms of, of efficiencies and performance. That just doesn't happen anymore. Where that is happening is on the parallel compute side and GPUs, not CPU, but GPU. And, and that's really where you're, you're getting those kind of leap forwards in terms of uh, performance and efficiency. And right now, uh, NVIDIA, again, with, you know, I mentioned it earlier with, with the combination of their sort of top to tail software stack, as well as their leading hardware, you know, they're able to really deliver this stuff for, for the CSP. And that's why they're in every CSP, every, every hyperscaler's network, every hyperscaler's data center. So, you know, you basically have a situation where I think Intel probably, I mean, they will participate in the growth in cloud server, which is, you know, again, still growing double digits, but they're going to be at the same time likely losing share, not just the AMD and the x86 CPU space, but also likely ARM increasingly over time which we can talk about if, if you guys are interested. So Intel to me stands out as a potential loser. Clearly Nvidia, a clear winner here, gonna do 20 billion in this in this business uh, this year in data center. AMD is also a, a, a winner here. Their position is, is a little one-sided. Um, they really don't play on the GPU side. They only play uh, on the CPU side today. And they are um, still taking share, as I mentioned, from Intel. So, so that's really their key driver for growth. Something that a, a lot of folks maybe don't talk about as much is it's all well and good to keep pushing compute power and processing power forward. But, you know, the other side of that same coin is connectivity. And so companies like um, Broadcom, companies like Marvell are really enabling that fast connectivity, those big pipes, um, so that servers can talk to other servers, you know, quickly. So those are two really strong plays on on what's happening with AI. And there's one other one I'll mention, Tim, and that's and that's monolithic power. They are supplying all the core power uh, for NVIDIA GPUs. So every every time you hear NVIDIA mentioned uh, with a win in AI, it's it's a win for for monolithic power as well. And I think that's probably less appreciated than some of the other names in semis. And Rick, I'm always struck that all of these semiconductors are manufactured by Taiwan Semiconductor. <laughs> I know you don't follow them ex- exclusively, but that I mean, is that a risk for the industry? And are are any new competitors, you know, stepping up to try to compete with them? Yeah, great question. Uh, something like 80% of all advanced geometry, basically advanced chips, uh, 7 nanometer, 5 nanometer, 3 nanometer, are done by Taiwan Semi. So the world uh, is definitely over-leveraged uh, to, to, to Taiwan uh, for the supply of those those chips. There's one other company that's really competing at the high end, that's Samsung, but they obviously minority share in that space. Uh, Intel is investing and is trying to catch up. I think that's you know remains to be seen if they're going to be able to do everything they say they're they're planning to do. Uh, their plan is uh, in the next couple of years, basically by 2025, to regain process uh, leadership and to level set everybody. Um, they're two nodes behind right now. They basically just got to seven nanometer, while TSN is ramped on on three three nanometer. Uh, so that's two at the two node advantage. Who's the dominant semiconductor equipment manufacturers now? There's been a lot of consolidation in that space, um, but the biggest, you know, still would be like AMAT, ASML would be a couple of, of the really big names. Popped my Tokyo Electron's in there. There's there's a handful of names that are 
that are there, but they're but they're all outside of China. So you know the companies I guess we haven't talked about yet or 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 in 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 any depth was so Amazon we haven't talked about Apple and we haven't talked about Meta. So so Tim, let's start with with Amazon. We we both work on covering this company. You know they have been offering basic AI functionality for customers who use their database and data lake products. But do we see them as a player in this in the next two years? You know, it's just not really clear, to be honest. They haven't come out with many announcements. I do think they have a little bit of a disadvantage right now. They kind of optimized their cloud for almost technology that was 10 years old. They were really the first one to roll out heterogeneous technology uh, compute, and they have their own DPU called Nitro. And their networking was optimized around that for that period of time. So they're even networking in between chips. I think they're capped at 200 gigabits, where when you look at NVIDIA's technology, which is the best in the world, even on networking, Microsoft's deploying it at 400 gigabits. So right now, Microsoft seems to have a major cost advantage in training these AI models. And obviously, it's a massive, massive focus. We just have not heard a huge amount out from Amazon, and everyone's kind of waiting for them to do something or say something, to be honest. Right, except, I mean, we saw the partnership with NVIDIA, but effectively NVIDIA is partnering with all the, the, the cloud hyperscalers. So let's talk about Apple for a second, um, you know, cover, covered by another Oppenheimer analyst, but, you know, obviously you've got, you know, at least half the world running around with an Apple product usually um, in their pocket. You know, how do we generally perceive um, Apple? They generally don't want to be the first, but, you know, they, they wait to maximize kind of what they think is the optimal customer experience, even if, if they perceive to be late to the party. But I mean, is this generally how we're thinking about them and AI? Well, once again, it's not it's not real clear, you know, what they're going to do. But to your point, you know, in a lot of ways, it's their game to lose. They are the dominant consumer cloud communications company, really, their operating system. You know, to your point, I, they only have about 20, 25 percent market share by devices. But, you know, in terms of income, it's probably, you know, more like 50 to 60 percent. So. They're an incredibly important, uh, an important player here, but it's hard to see where the that they're going to co- come up with the killer applications. And you know, even Microsoft would suggest they they know this. Microsoft knows the next application is going to come out of the blue somewhere. It's probably in someone's garage as we speak, and they just want to make sure that it's kind of built on their infrastructure. And then ultimately, I, I think Apple's going to be in a very very similar position. Whatever that next killer app is going to be. You know, Apple's going to want to host it and make sure they kind of monetize it somewhat. I mean, it, it's kind of interesting, as Jason, you know, I think Google pays Apple a huge amount of money per year to be the dominant um, search engine or the uh, the search engine. I, I've heard 20 billion. I'm not sure if that came from you or somebody else. But, you know, Apple's in a situation where they can, you know, charge if someone wants to be the killer app on their phone for AI, they're probably going to get paid no matter what happens. So so we'll let them segue that. So, I mean, then the other 75%, give or take, of, of smartphones in the world are Android, right? Which is uh, Google Alphabet. So technically, that gives them the platform when they think there's something to to make the default feature. So let's like last with Meta, just with the amount that they spend on on CapEx, right, has gotten a ton of attention in the last few years, you know, and they seem to be shifting their mental focus, you know, away from potentially the metaverse, or at least prioritizing perhaps a bit lower to AI. I think initially to um, improve ad targeting after the signal loss they went through with Apple. Uh, But then the question becomes, given their personal relationship with the majority of the consumers in the world, you know, how do we think about meta offering effectively this, you know, assistant or, or some type of 
communications AI to I mean, you're a million percent right, right? It's all about the distribution at the end of the, the data. It's all about whoever has the data is going to win and whoever has the distribution, you know, so, and clearly Facebook has the data. Google has all the data and both of them have all the distribution. Uh, you know, that, that's why I, I think they got to figure it out pretty quick. I mean, right now we're just in a situation where OpenAI has the best, best, best model by far out there. I'm sure there's going to be other ones, but, you know, time is of the essence for, you know, for both of them. And I, I'm sure they, they will be pretty aggressive here and, and do very well once they kind of get going. So in, in the last 48 hours, there has actually been a letter written by a number of influential um, entrepreneurs, investors asking for a six month pause um, in, in AI development, basically asking the industry to stop at kind of the GPT-4 level. You've, you've seen kind of also renowned, intelligent, influential people coming out saying they disagree with that and that this is basically, um, you know, a, a basically arms race with China to see who ultimately will build the best AI and, and whichever form it ends up being used. Um, maybe talk at least, let's start from Microsoft's perspective. I mean, you know, have they talked about the moral aspects or some how they're thinking about the societal uh, impacts of, of these products? It hasn't been a huge focus for them. I mean, they they did get a lot of grief from you know some of the initial uh, conversations that people were having with ChatGPT. So they've had to put you know a lot more a lot more guardrails on there. But you know, to your point, I I, I think they believe that this is going to happen. You know, no matter what, and they're going to basically do everything they can, you know, to make sure that this is helpful for society and does not hurt. You know, they see it as an additional tool. You know, essentially, um, and you know, when I talked to them, you know. Cars can be a, a great tool, but they can also kill a lot of people, right? And there's a lot of other things we have in society that's something, you know, very, very similar, you know, drugs and guns and on and on. Uh, but, you know, over time, there will be more and more guardrails put in place to, to try to make sure this is not used in a bad way. But obviously, ultimately, it will in certain instances. Yeah, I mean, I guess that that's always, you know, regulation is always a question we get with these very large companies. And these are usually quite difficult topics that are kind of at the very edge of what is happening in innovation and, and ultimately for kind of, you know, I guess the risk would be if government steps in and starts to say, you know, no, you can't do this. But then, you know, ultimately that that's putting a lot of confidence that they have the ability to police this. And I think we have plenty of examples in society where there's good intentions by government, but, uh, you know, unintended consequences happen. And ultimately government realizes they don't have the kind of ability to really police it. So, you know, yeah, look, I think it's, you know, early days. And right now I think the the Western governments have a lot on their plate. So I, I personally would be surprised if, if they got involved in this in the next 12 to 18 months. But, you know, we, we can end it, you know, Tim, if you, you, Rick, if you have any any further thoughts. Well, good. Thank you, everybody. Oh, just one last thing. We do have a bunch of AI reports kind of written out there if any, anybody wants anything. Um, One's uh, basically called the iPhone moment. Uh, the other run is a gold rush white paper out there. Terrific. Um, I mean, I think that that brings it full circle. You know, we want to thank everybody for joining us, Tim, Rick. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to your Oppenheimer representative. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode and remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.